This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone. We're going to spend this afternoon thinking about salvation and repentance, initially looking at why we need salvation before moving on to look at why we need to repent in order to be given salvation. So, so why do we need salvation? What do we need saving from? And stepping back a few steps, what's God's purpose with the earth? Well, Moses tells us that God created the earth in order to give him glory. We read in Numbers 14, verse 21, But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And King David says something very similar in one of his Psalms, um, Psalm 72, The Lord God, the God of Israel, deserves praise. He alone accomplishes amazing things. His glorious name deserves praise forevermore. May his majestic splendour fill the whole earth. And Habakkuk says again something very similar. For recognition of the Lord's sovereign majesty will fill the earth just as the waters cover the sea. And Habakkuk adds to what David said and what Moses said. He adds the word recognition or knowledge if you're reading the, the King James Version. The, the implication is that it's about human beings being able to give God glory, having a knowledge of God's glory. So God created the earth and human life upon it to give him glory, a glory that will involve the entirety of humankind recognising that God has created everything, that God gives light to everything, that God sustains everything. Turn with me to the, the last chapter in your Bible, Revelation chapter 22. So we find in this chapter a, a beautiful description of God's final plan and purpose with the earth and with human life. verse 1 of Revelation 22 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life water as clear as crystal pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb flowing down the middle of the city's main street on each side of the river is the tree of life producing twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month of the year its leaves are for the healing of the nations there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. So God's intention is that he will be able to dwell with man and that, that humankind and, and God will be able to be together that all human life will recognize God for what he is and will worship him and will reflect his ideals in a way that in the way that they live and this was the intention right from the beginning if you turn to Genesis chapter 3 we'll see that initially God did walk with man
Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the orchard. And if we cast our minds back over the story and think about what has happened previously in this chapter, we'll remember that God has told Adam and Eve that they could eat freely from any of the trees in the Garden of Eden, except for the tree in the centre of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that Adam and Eve had been tempted by the serpent and they'd given in and they'd eaten the fruit of the tree. And they now realised that they were naked and despite the fact they'd tried to clothe themselves with, with clothes made from fig leaves, they still didn't feel confident enough to stand in the presence of God. And further on in the chapter we then read of three judgments given by God. Verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures out of the field. On your belly you will crawl and dust will you eat all the days of your life. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head and you will attack her offspring's heel. And this is the, the first mention of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The offspring of the woman was as it is in many of the more modern versions, or that the seed of the woman, if you're reading the, the King James Version, is Jesus. The offspring of the serpent is symbolic of sin and death. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your labour pains. With pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Verse 17, but to Adam he said, because you obeyed your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground thanks to you. In painful toil will you eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, but you will eat the grain of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Remember what we read in Revelation, and it was verse 3 of that chapter we read in Revelation. There will be no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him, they will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads. And what we've just looked at here, that, that's the curse that's being spoken about. So why do we need salvation? Well, we've seen from Genesis that... Adam and Eve's sin separated them from God. Adam and Eve could no longer bear to be in God's presence, but instead sought to avoid him. Their sin alienated them from God. And it's a message that's repeated throughout the Bible. Turn to the, the reading we took before the talk, Isaiah chapter 59. This chapter is split into three sections. Um, the, the first section from verse 1 up to verse 8 describes how injustice and sin bring alienation from God. Um, the, the middle section from verse 9 up to verse 15 records the nation of Israel confessing its sin. And then verse 16 up to the end of the chapter describes God's intervention. 
The first eight verses are where I want to concentrate our attention at the moment. So Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1. Look, the Lord's hand is not too weak to deliver you. His ear is not too deaf to hear you. But your sinful acts have alienated you from God. Your sins have caused him to reject you and not listen to your prayers. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with sin. Your lips speak lies, your tongue utters malicious words. No one, no one is concerned about justice, no one sets forth his case truthfully. They depend on false words and lies. They conceive of oppression and give birth to sin. They hatch the eggs of a poisonous snake and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die. A poisonous snake is hatched. Their webs cannot be used for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they've made. Their deeds are sinful. They commit violent crimes. They are eager to do evil, quick to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are sinful. They crush and destroy. They are unfamiliar with peace. Their deeds are unjust. They use deceitful methods. And whoever deals with them is unfamiliar with peace. The passage speaks to us about how our sin alienates us from God. We just look at a couple more passages that explain the same thing to us while we're in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 1. Listen to the Lord's word, you leaders of Sodom. Pay attention to our God's rebuke, people of Gomorrah. Of what importance to me are your many sacrifices, says the Lord. I'm stuffed with burnt, burnt sacrifices of rams and the fat from steers, the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. I do not want. When you enter my presence, do you actually think I want this? Animals trampling in on my courtyards. Do not bring any more meaningless offerings. I consider your incense detestable. You observe new moon festivals, sabbaths and convocations. But I cannot tolerate sin-stained celebrations. I hate your new moon festivals and assemblies. They are a burden I am tired of carrying. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I look the other way. When you offer your many prayers, I do not listen. Why? Because your hands are covered with blood. God says, despite the, the efforts of all of these people, all of their sacrifices, all their assemblies, all them trying to do the, the right thing, because of their sin and their unwillingness to turn from it, he wasn't going to listen to them until verse 16. Wash, cleanse yourself, remove your sinful de deeds from my sight, stop sinning, learn to do what is right, promote justice, give the oppressed reason to celebrate take up the cause of the orphan defend the rights of the widow god wasn't going to listen to them until they repented and started doing what was right one more example before we move on this time from the new testament um paul's letter to the ephesians ephesians chapter 2 And verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you were at that time without the Messiah, 
alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he explains that before their baptisms, before they knew about Jesus, that they were alienated from the promises that God had given his people, that they had no hope. But now that they did know about Jesus, now that they had been baptised, that they'd been brought to God by the blood of Christ. So what have we covered up to this point? We've, we've looked at God's purpose for the earth. We found that God wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. And once again, he wants to be able to dwell with man. We've looked at how our sins alienate us from God and how we need to how we need salvation unfortunately for us God has provided a way for us to be saved we saw the hint of it in, in Genesis 3 when God spoke to the serpent and talked about the seed of the woman and the most easily quoted verse in the Bible explains it too for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life In the, in the reading that we took from Isaiah 59, we read about how our sins alienate us from God. And later in the chapter, um, in verse 20, we read, A protector comes to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their rebellious deeds, says the Lord. And again, in the chapter we looked at in Isaiah chapter 1, we saw how our sins alienate us from God. And a few verses beyond what we read, we found, again, that the need for repentance God says to the people to wash to cleanse themselves to remove their sinful deeds from his sight to, to stop sinning and that's the act of repentance Jesus used the events of his time to, to give a very telling example about repentance if you turn to Luke chapter 13 we'll read the account of what he said Luke chapter 13 verse 1 and now there were some present on that occasion who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices he answered them do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things no I tell you but unless you repent you will all perish as well or those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them do you think they were worse offenders than all those others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And we don't need to think very hard to replace the examples of Jesus' time with examples from recent weeks. Flight MH370, gunmen in America, the, the list is endless, isn't it? Sudden death means the, the cutting off of lives and... and almost unbearable grief to those who remain but by using these examples Jesus is making the point that as tragic as sudden death in an accident or a disaster is there's something even graver if we if we do not repent we shall all perish the real tragedy of death isn't that it's sudden and unexpected but that it's final 
there's there's no recovery from it. It's it's the end unless we've repented. In the book of Acts we read time and time again of first Peter and then Paul calling the people to repent. Um, let's have a, a look at a few of those before we talk about what repentance really is and how we repent. Um, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is in Jerusalem. He's speaking to a large crowd of Jews from many different nations. He tells them about Jesus and he explains to them how the Jewish people had put him to death, but that Jesus had risen again. And then if we pick it up in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, Repent, and each one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So Peter tells the people they must repent, they must be baptised. And baptism's due to be the subject for, for next week, so... I won't talk about that today, except to note that baptism follows on from, is what must follow on from repentance if we wish to be saved. In the, the next chapter on, <clears throat> chapter 3, again we find Peter preaching to the Jews in the temple area. Verse 13 of chapter 3. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our forefathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate after he decided to release you. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a man who was a murderer be released to you. You killed the originator of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this fact we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in Jesus' name, his very name has made this man whom you see and know strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given him this complete health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as your rulers did. But the thing that God foretold long ago through all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he is fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and so that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is Jesus. <coughs> Peter told the people that they needed to repent, that they needed to turn back, so that their sins might be wiped out. Just a couple more. Um, chapter 17 of Acts. Just two verses from here. Um, verse 30 of Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> this is Paul speaking. Therefore, although God has overlooked such a time of ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. And then verse 26, for one more key thing from this. Uh, sorry, chapter 26. 
uh, chapter 26, verse 19. <clears throat> Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared to those in Damascus first, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds consistent with repentance. And the last part of that quote is key. Once we have repented, we must perform deeds consistent with repentance. Repenting needs to change us. <clears throat> so how do we repent? Well, the answer in, in many religious circles has been a, an emotional confession, a result of hymn, seeking, hymn singing and passionate appeals. The term used in the New Testament means a, a change of mind or purpose for the better. So what's involved is, is not just the feelings, it's the understanding and the will. But that raises another question, understanding about what? Well, the Bible gives us a clear answer. It's an understanding about ourselves as creatures of flesh and blood. <clears throat> we need to see ourselves not as we would prefer, but as we really are. The Bible tells us that we are subject to natural desires, which can be become so strong they, that they dominate us. The source of the evil that we do can't be blamed on the external circumstances of life, but in the desires of our own heart. If you turn over to Mark chapter 7, Jesus explains this to the people around about him. Mark 7 verse 14. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, everyone, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that can defile him by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles him. <coughs> now, when Jesus had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? For it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and then goes out into the sewer. This means all foods are clean. He said, What comes out of a person defiles him, for from within, out of the human heart, comes evil ideas, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride and folly. All of these evils come from within and defile a person. <clears throat> That's why Peter told the crowd of Jews in the passage we read from Acts chapter 3 that they should repent and turn back that your sins might be wiped out. Their sins were the obstacle in their life. They needed to change their thinking about themselves and turn back and walk in the opposite direction. They were called upon to make a decision affecting the course of their life. A decision that was based on the understanding and acceptance of the truth of the gospel. In the first century, um, in the days of the apostles, the, the Jewish world was dominated largely by ceremony and was exceedingly tolerant of covetousness and pride. The Roman world was largely given over to violence and immorality. Um, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
we get an indication of how things how things were. One Corinthians chapter six verse nine. <clears throat> Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. <clears throat> There's no wonder that the apostles were preaching that repentance was needed. <coughs> Excuse me. This this call to repent and to turn back had obviously been very powerful for some of the Corinthian ecclesia, and they had repented. But how powerful is it for us? It's true that in general, our our world becomes more and more immoral and, and violent with every year that passes. But there's still large parts of society where decent behaviour still exists and I imagine for, for most of us we will have grown up in families and societies where people are reasonably behave for the majority of the time we don't usually find ourselves guilty of the sins so detailed sins detailed so explicitly by Jesus and by Paul we can be tempted to pass lightly over the, the sins of the mind and regard ourselves as tolerably respectable. We acknowledge the verdict of the Apostle Paul, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it can be difficult at times to apply that to ourselves, except in the most general way. We admit it's truth, but maybe don't so easily feel it's a reality. In other words, we we can sort of have difficulty with regarding ourselves as needing to convert. Most people that I talk to don't really feel that there's all that much wrong with their lives. And it's the Apostle John who points out to us where the real weakness is. It's in our own natural desires, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, in the pride of life. <clears throat> By nature we are under pressure to seek our own physical satisfaction, to possess what seems desirable, to defend our own pride. So we are guilty at times of fulfilling our own will instead of the will of God. We, we forget him and his service. <clears throat> Turn to Matthew chapter 25 though, because I think this is where the, the real eye-opener is. Matthew chapter 25, we get a parable given by the Lord Jesus about the judgment. And the people in this passage who are rejected aren't rejected for any, any sins that they have done. They're rejected for things that they haven't done. And I think this is where it comes home to us. that we, That's where we realise that actually, yes, we do need to repent. We do need to change the way that we're thinking. Verse 41 of Matthew chapter 25. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not receive me as a guest. Naked, and you did not clothe me. 
sick and in prison and you did not visit me? Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not give you whatever you needed? Then he will answer them, I tell you the truth, just as you did not do it for any of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And it's only when we become conscious of the things that we've omitted to do and ought to have done, the, the visits we ought to have paid but didn't, the, the help we should have given to somebody but didn't, the things we should have said but didn't. It's only then that we realise the reality of our shortcomings in our services to God. That's why we're imperfect creatures. That's why we need to repent. And that's why even when we have repented and been baptised, we need a continual reminder of the, the bread and the wine each week. They're not only signs of the, the love of God and of Christ for us, they're also the reminders of quite how much has been done for us in the way that the Lord Jesus lived his life and chose to lay it down for us. There's comfort. The way that Jesus gave up his life for us means that we have the possibility of forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, says John, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John 1 verse 9. God is a, a God of mercy and of grace. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And that's why he gave his only begotten son, so that we might not perish. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.